welcome to the Wake Before the Day podcast with my parents, Clark and Bobby. We're excited to talk about the Bible and the Holy Spirit adventures. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to your Friday podcast with Wake Before the Day. Clark and I are here. We're talking about the most important piece of good news that any Christian's ever heard in their whole life today, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically in the book of John chapter 19. So this is um, Jesus being sentenced and crucified. So this is the Good Friday. And we were just here a little, you know, a month ago, um, celebrating, mourning this time. Um, And then make sure you guys, after we read chapter 19, please read chapter 20. (laughs) yes it doesn't end here so that's good ends on a high note that's for sure we we're just going to walk through the chapter talk about what kind of sticks out and kind of maybe a little bit about our easter too and what resonates just reflecting on yeah the the first character mentioned in john chapter 19 is Pilate. said then Pilate took jesus and had him flogged Mm -hmm. Pilate was the one in charge of the situation he had worked with Herod, although they were all not friends. Um, And when you flog somebody, what would happen, there'd be the leather whip and there'd be lead um, woven into the end of the leather straps. There would be shards of metal and bone also at the end of the leather whips. And when someone got flogged and Mm -hmm. whipped, um, they'd be just thrashed front and back. Mm -hmm. And really you just mutilate their flesh. Nerves would be torn. Muscles would be ripped. And um, sometimes people didn't even survive a flogging right. and a whipping, just right. to be sure. And they had these poles, they'd beat them, and oftentimes they'd beat them 39 times because they knew if they hit them as hard as they could and with the strategy they had 40 times, they'd kill them. So the Romans perfected the the art of pain. Right? How can we hurt Ugh. these people as much as possible and keep them alive? And then it says they twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his, on his head, clothed him in purple robe. That was something actually that stuck out to me. Clark and I watched The Passion this year, like all the way through in one sitting. I just couldn't stomach it Mm -hmm. again. Anyway, but one of the things that was so miserable um, is this crown of thorns. And I kind of was reflecting, though, on verse two, because you were talking about how really this is even a symbol reflecting Genesis. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this, I think, in a Sabbath sermon, like the month before Easter, about how when God created and we were in union with him in Genesis 2, it was full of life and flourishing and there's no pain, there's no sin. But then when Genesis 3 happens and and the fallen world starts to take shape, one of the things that manifests is weeds. Yeah, And that was, you know, not how it's supposed to be when it comes to like agriculture and and that's just part of the our broken world now when sin entered and satan kind of you know made his presence known then it was like oh wow not just our flesh is affected by this not just human beings but now the earth yeah and and all things in it including thorns you know that that's one of those pictures now that's just totally redeeming because we see this crown of thorns being put on the Messiah mm-hmm. who's come to save the world. And it's kind of like, you know, uh, a joke like, Hey, we're going to put this crown on you because you're, you're king of the Jews. Um, but there's actual, actual supernatural symbolism in like what's happening right, here. Because one of the things that really um, validates and gives credibility to 
I mean, one of the biggest things that gives credibility to Jesus on the cross is all these fulfilled prophecies that are all over the Bible. And mm-hmm. there's a few mentioned in John. And I don't even, you guys, I don't think there's a specific word or prophecy about thorns, but just in noticing in verse two, that's like, oh my goodness. But it does go back specifically to um, oh, it does. Okay. verse three or chapter three of Genesis where yes. Genesis one and two, the idea is that God created this life to be just teeming with life and thriving and flourishing <laughs> where it's like, hey, Adam and Eve, you literally don't have to work. Like yeah. name the animals, enjoy creation. There's going to be... Uh, perennials that just kick out fruit constantly and vegetables constantly. Like they're going to just continue to regrow. You just need to pluck them and eat them. Where then in Genesis 3, part of the curse is that now Adam is going to have to fight the ground in his attempt to make food and thorns are going to come in and they're going to make life really difficult. And so that's a sign of the curse. And now that that curse is placed on Jesus. Yeah, he's taking it upon himself. Taking it upon yeah. himself again. Yes. And so Jesus is getting beaten and mutilated and they're clothed him with purple. They're mocking him. And then Jesus yeah. um, is in a situation that's interesting because Pilate is quote unquote the man in charge. Right. But you realize he's not really. And he doesn't no. even want to be in the situation. He's yeah. trying to find an out and he can't. So eventually he turns back to the people and he's like, all right, you, what do you want to do here? Mm. And Pilate's like, I have no basis for killing this guy, is yeah. what he says in verse 6. You mm. take him and crucify him. The Jewish leaders can't do that. They said, we have a law, and according to the law, he must die, but we can't kill him yeah. because he claims to be the son of God. So then Pilate's even more afraid, and he yeah. goes back into his palace. He's talking to Jesus again, like, who are you? Where did right. you come from? Why aren't you talking to me? And I love this line. He says, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And in Jesus has a, a mic drop moment here. He says, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So much of the mm-hmm. scriptures teach that leaders are in position only because God has ordained them and allowed them to be there. There is no accident. There is no election. Mm-hmm. There was no dictator. There was no Roman emperor that was in place. And God goes, oh, no. How did this happen? We made a mistake. Spirit, son, we got to figure this out. Mm. And Jesus is telling Pilate here, like, yeah, you're here because you're supposed to be here. Mm. And when you look throughout scripture, Old Testament to New Testament, I would say today, whenever there are bad and ungodly leaders in position, Mm. it is a consequence of God's people failing to follow God, to use their voice and their resources and their time to love the world and continue the mission of Jesus whether it's Israel, whether it's the New Testament, whether there's revolts and all these things. And I just think, hey, Romans 13 reminds us these people are in place for a reason. God put them here. Yep. And Jesus has reminded him here right now, you wouldn't be here if a God didn't put you here. So when you look at Pilate, Pilate had the ability to do bad. He did not have the ability to do good because he was not with the Lord. And so mm-hmm. for you listening, know that, hey, we celebrate. We have the opportunity to do good because we're in Christ and Christ is in us. Yeah. And so we don't want to do what Pilate did where he he lacks conviction. He lacks um, courage. He lacks vision for to, an ability to do what is right. And he caves mm-hmm. into the demand of the people. Right. And there's going to continue to be peer pressure mm-hmm. as the world becomes more polarized, as the confusion of the culture rages. And I just want to encourage you, Christian, like, it's okay. This has happened before. It's going to happen again. 
And when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, yeah. like Jesus showed us in John 17 last on Wednesday, mm-hmm. we're going to be all right and God's going to use us, but we're not going to compromise and disobey just because life gets hard. Mm-hmm. We're willing to go to the end and follow the Lord. And, uh, and that's what Jesus does here. Because eventually now they, uh, they, they get ready to crucify Jesus. And that's kind of what happens next when the story transitions from verses uh, like 16 through uh, 27. It's, yeah. it's kind of building up to the death of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so again, riddled throughout these scriptures, though, are just little echoes back that are um, like moments that are either reflecting scripture directly or that are just sounding like, oh, yeah, like Jesus carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which is Aramaic for Golgotha. So we've talked about that before and the significance actually of this like geographic location. Yeah. And because that was echoing Old Testament stories also. Um then it continues with Pilate and them putting the, a sign above his head, reading Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Um, and the soldiers, when they're dividing up their clothes again, like that's these are prophetic things that they didn't rip them, that mm-hmm. they didn't tear them. Yeah, like the high, the high priest gown is woven and it was seamless. seamless. And so there's all these yeah. things pointing to Jesus fulfilling his Old Testament prophecies. Right. But again, just I don't want to get too graphic, but I just want to be honest with you. The Romans, what Jesus did here was so excruciating. The Persians had created the cross and then the Romans perfected it. They literally figured mm-hmm. out how can we hurt someone as bad as possible and keep them as but keep them alive, alive as long as possible. Right. So oftentimes if you can envision Jesus like walking and eventually Simon jumps yeah. in to help him carry the cross because Jesus can't do it himself, mm-hmm. um, you'd have to usually carry just one large beam. The vertical beams were already up on Golgotha. And so usually people would right. have to carry the one. Um, sometimes I guess there was exceptions, but as you're carrying it, this thing is very heavy and you're getting splinters in your back. That's already been shredded. It's already open. Yeah. Once you get up there, then they put a little tiny seat and a little tiny seat is like just a couple inches off like the, ledge. the, the yeah. vertical beam enough for you to get part of your butt on to sit on, to grasp for air, but it's not enough to really sit and rest on. And right. then you collapse and fall down. Because what would happen with a lot of people, if they even survived the flogging, was they would get up on the cross, they would suffocate and die real quick. Animals and birds would come and eat them. The crosses were not like very high. They're actually very low at eye level. And almost everybody was naked when you're on the cross. Mm-hmm. Again, utter humiliation. And so when Jesus is put on there, they put the feet together, put a nail right through his both of his feet um, below the heel um, into the wood, and then through his hands. So you're, you're stuck there. And then when the nails would go through the the wood, they'd have to bend them on the back end just to make sure you were truly stuck there, like you were really not going anywhere. And so as Jesus is experiencing this this utter pain, it, he, he survives. And and he's going there. And what's interesting is that he p- is placed in the middle. And I've never like really tried to unpack this, and I probably should spend more time with it, but there's three... Um, cross is up there. Jesus is in the center. Mm-hmm. And this whole thing is about Jesus. And God's at the center of the story. Mm-hmm. God's at the center of this plan. Jesus has ins- inserted himself at the center of life itself. And on one hand, you have someone who comes to experience forgiveness. On yeah. the other side, you have someone who continues to live in sin. And Jesus places himself again right in the center of it all. Right. And it's like, uh, what, what song is that? Jesus at the center of it all. Yeah. I have that in my head right now. Jesus at the center yeah. of it all. Um, and, and that's what was part of God's plan. He never distracted himself. He was never, um, 
like an elitist where he was out of reach and wasn't available to humanity Hmm. from the beginning of his birth to the manger and the common person all the way to the end of his life. He's with common people. Yeah. People that like you and me, where Jesus is just there saying, I'm here for you. Right. And I think too, you mentioned already the name or the sign that they put up. Yeah. Um, which again is like verses 19 through 22. Would you read those? Would you read that again for I us? I would. I will. Pilate had noticed, prepared and fastened to the cross, had a notice, excuse me, prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read that this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Mm-hmm. Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. I love it. Again, so for Jesus, for the people, it's written in these languages that are re- readable, understand. Yeah. People are able to understand them, and there's people seeing this. And so, again, Jesus coming for people, the common people, to be with the people, to be understood by the people, to be seen by the people. Mm. Even this very title shows that he is who he is, and it's fulfillment of all these Old Testament prophecies. And you could tell here it irks the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, like, hey, change that sign. Don't write that. And Pilate's like, hey, what I have written, I have written, because this is true. Mm. And so it's just... Yeah, it's heart-wrenching, and you're grateful, and you're celebrating the, the love of the Lord and the grace of the Lord. And even in his agony, he looks down at his mom and tells her, hey, mom, now you have like a new son. And he's talking about John, the yeah. one who wrote the story. And then, John, here's your mom. Take care of her. And what's so interesting about this is Jesus had other siblings. Yeah. He, he had right. brothers. One of them named James. He wrote the book of James in the, old, in the New Testament. But at this point, they didn't believe in him. And so it looks like Jesus here is going, I need to make sure someone who is part of the ministry, who understands yeah. who I am, is looking after my mom because he understands like the the width and the breadth of this story and where I came from and where I'm going and what's happening. And, and even in his death and his agony, he has compassion. He's looking out for other people. Well, that's the thing too, understanding the position of women. That's like, my mom's going to need somebody. Yeah, and so that yeah, like you said, till his last breath, and then and then even after that, is and, and you don't know where Peter's at, or I mean, he obviously had just disowned Jesus, so he's probably wallowing somewhere in his shame. But the yeah. other disciples are gone too. Yeah, all the women are there, mm-hmm. and John, and uh, and then it, the story kind of wraps up here. This chapter does, and Jesus is about to die. The scripture says in verse twenty-eight, Jesus says, "I am thirsty." At the beginning of this whole torture process, he turned down a drink yeah. because that was meant to kind of numb a little bit of the pain. And here, uh, or they, they say, um, was it vinegar and wine? Wine and vinegar. I might retract that statement. I have to look back at it. But here he accepts the drink because he needs the ability to cry out. And it seems like his mouth is parched. He yeah. probably can't even talk. So he gets the drink so that he can cry out, it is finished. And I remember like years ago kind of wrestling with like, what is finished exactly? Because it seems like there's more to the story. And Mm -hmm. here's a list of things like that would fall under this category of Jesus finishing this work on the cross. It was finished in that the, the wrath of God had been satisfied and Jesus paid in full what needed to be paid so that now the relationship could be made available to humanity again. That's when the temple curtain tears it's like, hey, you have access now to the Holy of Holies. The yeah. types and promises and prophecies are finished in Jesus. Like he actually did these things. 
The sacrifices and ceremonies of the priesthood are finished. Now there's a new way of doing things. Enter mm-hmm. baptism, enter communion. We're not going to be doing this Old Testament law anymore. His perfect obedience was finished. Jesus didn't sin. One of the things watching the, the compassion that hit me, was that even in Jesus beating, his, mutilate, his, his being mutilated, he, he didn't sin. Like I've stubbed my toe yeah. before and, and swore. And Jesus, you know, confessions of a pastor, I'm being real with you. Jesus is getting beaten and shredded. And and for him not even to harbor an, an ungodly angry thought. Right. In his mind. In his mind. Yeah. Like that's where I'm like, time out. This is going next level. He didn't swear. He didn't curse. He didn't even harbor anger in his heart that was sinful against the people who are doing this to him. Yeah. And then the power of Satan, sin, and death are finished. They've lost. Um. Jesus has won. It is finished. And from there then, what happens is he's taken and he's buried And uh, after he dies. And there's interesting characters that come back into play here. There's Joseph of Arimathea, and he's accompanied by Nicodemus, which is so interesting to see like Nicodemus's role here. Because in John 3, he wanted to experience this new life. But was seemed hesitant still because he is high up in the Sanhedrin. He right. was a, a man of the the law, the law. Mm-hmm. and he was probably very wealthy and had um, a good reputation, reputation about himself. And yet, halfway through John, you see that he's quietly still intrigued about Jesus, but doesn't want to go public. Yep. And then here at the end, he's saying, "I want to take care of his body." And what happens here is like they're the ones that actually had to get Jesus down from the cross. Right. So having to take those bent nails and straighten them out somehow, trying to remove his body, trying to cover it up. And they have a hundred pounds of hyssop and things to wrap his his body and to keep him, um, I guess, up to tradition and cultural code to be buried. Yeah, It's like, man, what a messy process. Strips of linen, Jewish burial customs, Jesus crucified. And uh, all this is done on the Jewish day of preparation. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has uh, been crucified for us. And then he's placed in a garden, which is another <laughs> like Old Testament, like going back to, to Eden here, this yeah. return to Eden. Um, Joseph Arimathea, the wealthy man, had a cave cut out. And that's where Jesus was put in this garden. And so from the garden to the garden, you see this circle, this story kind of come full circle here. Amen. He's grateful for it. So, My goodness. You guys, it's Friday. Um, you're loved. The Lord loves you. Read chapter 20 tomorrow. You're going to be really blessed. Thanks for listening today. We're going to worship the risen Lord on Sunday again. Um, come join us. We would love to have you 9, 10, 30, noon, 6 p.m. Thanks so much and God bless you. Bye-bye. The Lord bless you and keep you. Don't make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give him his peace. Have a great day.